There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. Mate, yeah. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch, my name is Windy and I'm joined by our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. hello Nathan. Hello. How was your Christmas mate? Yeah, not bad, not bad, although I'm, I'm a little ill now so I don't know if that's coming through. Oh right, I, I had it just before, so on the 23rd I was literally like on the sofa um, taking every possible remedy I could, thinking I might not make it down to my parents in Somerset for, for Christmas. Miraculous recovery of the 24th, felt great. Or felt good enough to travel, um, and then drank through it over Christmas. And you know, alcohol really does help these things. So I'm sure your your New Year's Eve drinking will help your your illness <laughs> as well. It better do. And how are you feeling about Spurs? It's been a bit of a um, bit of a funny Christmas period. It started on such a high, and then obviously we've had the Wolves game. Yeah, I, yeah. The recording's sort of come at a difficult time, but I think looking at it as a whole, it's it's not been too bad at all, is it? I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with that. I think you've got to take the Christmas period as a whole rather than on a game by game because it is it's a case of managing this run of games rather than individual matches. Um I just want to start off with a quick thank you to to listeners for their comments, for their iTunes reviews, for following us on Twitter and for supporting the podcast in general throughout two thousand eighteen. It's been um it's been a good year for the extra inch. We've really kicked on this year and we've tried to become more regular and obviously we started recording via Skype rather than in person, which helps a lot because we're scattered all over the place. So um makes it a lot easier to get them out. But obviously that then puts a huge burden on Nathan because he's producing these. Um, we all record our, our audio individually and then Nathan mixes it together and makes it sound good. And although we love doing this podcast, we can't keep asking Nathan to produce it for free. So we're going to be looking for a sponsor in the new year. If anyone has any links to potential sponsors or wants to sponsor the podcast, please do get in touch with us at the extra inch at the fightingcock.co.uk. That'd be awesome. Um, but otherwise, you know, we'll keep going in until Nathan says no more. Um, let's speak about the Christmas period, Nath. Let's, what, what, let's get your general thoughts on. So we've had the three matches so far Everton 6 2, Bournemouth 5 1, and Wolves 3 1 defeat. And okay, there's a bit of doom and gloom after the Wolves game, but. On the whole, Spurs are you know looking pretty pretty good. We're second in the form table behind Liverpool, and we're what are we now third in the actual table, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. So what have you made of the way Poch has handled this Christmas period? I was definitely frustrated after the Wolves game. I felt that that was um, there was some obvious 
issues going on in the second half and I tweeted so much at the time saying, you know, come on, changes need to happen and I think Trippier was probably concussed. And I think that we don't deal with concussions even slightly well at all in football. Mm. Um, but, you know, specifically from from a team perspective and a tactical perspective, what was he doing on the pitch? Um, but again, as I said earlier, sort of looking at it as a whole, you know, we've had two really good score lines, at least against Everton and Bournemouth, but I do feel that this, this Wolves performance was coming um, a large part because of the fatigue and and that's beyond Pochettino's control. I've said before on this podcast, I think that 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 we that there's too much football, you know, from a club perspective, the the and and from a player perspective, there's too much being asked of them. So these kind of things are going to happen, and it's not Pochettino's decision to play, you know, once every couple of days. And um, we've got another game coming up tomorrow. Um, so yeah, there's some frustration, but I also sort of think that it was going to be hard to avoid. And also from sort of a style of play perspective, I think that this performance was coming because we've been playing this football, which is very um, un-Pochettino in that we just sort of send the ball forward, we force the ball forward, and we just say, okay, Ericsson, Delhi, Sun, Kane, make it happen. And, and you know, they've scored um, 12 goals in the last three games. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, the goals will come, but without that element of control, it's not our game. And, I, and yeah, there are holes in it. And Wolves, they sat deep, which is a bit unlike them. They, but, you know, Pochino pointed out himself how sort of um, they were deeper than we thought they were going to be because they knew that if our game plan is just to go direct, you know, not like properly lumping it up, but 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 to go early and to go a bit long and to go wide, um, that we can be suffocated with that. And I think other teams will see that now and we'll have more problem and then our, our midfield will give us more issues. I think that's a really good point that you've ended on there about Wolves playing deep to counteract the fact that we've been playing lots of long balls. And it's those clever passes over the top rather than, like you say, a traditional long ball up to a target man, hold it up and then play off the seconds. These are targeted balls over over the top of the defence for the likes of Son and Delhi to run onto. And it's been working tremendously well. Um, and it just came unstuck. And you, you sort of have to take your hat off to, to Nuno in that respect um, for sort of reading the way the game might pan out. And actually, Spurs have had to adapt because of the situation with our squad and the injuries we're, we've got at the moment. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how we've rotated the team over these past three, four matches. Because Poch is famed for rotating fullbacks and we've sort of carried on doing that. Although, you know, Walker Peters arguably hasn't played quite as much as, as certain people like me would have liked him to. Um, but the central midfield has been the same. It's been Sissoko and Winks and then Eriksen as a kind of auxiliary third midfielder. I guess that's due to circumstance broadly, because we have no Dembele, no Wanyama, no Eric Dyer. But could he have played Skip? Could he have? Could some of those minutes have gone to someone like Skip? Um, and how would you have handled that differently, Nathan? Yeah, again, uh, I'd like to see more rotation, and, and there have been options, but it is a difficult situation. I don't think Poch, you know, wants you know Winks and Soko to play hundreds and hundreds of minutes in a single month. Um, for two years, I'd been saying Wink should play more, Wink should play more, Wink should play more. And now he's a regular. I'm saying, oh, I'm not sure about Harry Winks. So mm. I'm reluctant to say, well, Skip needs to play because it's sort of a repeat of the same thing. I do I do still have, you know, plenty of optimism about Skip. I do have plenty of optimism um, about Winks. Um, but I, I, I'm because of the sort of, the, I don't want to just say, okay, well, that 
that academy product doesn't work throw that one out and get the next one in sort of thing um because i think that's a a a really awful way of looking at things yes i'd like to have seen skip play more but i understand why he hasn't yeah and i think this the issue with winks is that no central midfield player is going to be perfect or if they are perfect they're going to cost you well like you've seen you've been doing the research in, in terms of the transfer market they cost upwards of 50 50 million to get hold of a central midfielder that can do everything so naturally winks can't do everything what he's very good at is getting the ball down quickly and passing it quickly and getting those triangles working and occasionally playing a more expansive pass like we saw to kyle walker peters for one of his assists and you know that works really well when you've got an adequate screening midfielder next to you like eric dyer it doesn't work quite so well when you've got musa Sissoko next to you and Although we've all been very up on Sissoko over the past six weeks, we have to remember that Sissoko is still Sissoko. He's not become Moussa Dembele. He can't do everything. He just That's just not his game. He hasn't got the capability. And the things that Winks and Sissoko have been really good at have been the transition play. Quickly getting the second balls and turning them into attacking opportunities with yep. either a run through the middle or a quick pass. And that has blown Everton and Bournemouth away. And we just came unstuck with their frailties against Wolves where, like you say, like you mentioned earlier, we didn't have the control of the midfield because that's not their game to do that. They don't screen. They don't um, lock off the passing lanes. They don't track runners so well. That's These are things where those players have weaknesses like any player has uh, a whole set of weaknesses. Um, and I, I do feel for Poch, but at the same time, he took a calculated gamble playing those two game in, game out for four games and ultimately came unstuck at the last hurdle. I think we have to look at it as a block of games and say that it's a, broadly speaking, it's a success this Christmas period. Again, Spurs have done really well over Christmas again. And that's, you know, fantastic work from Koch. It's just the Wolves game was um, a frustrating one. And perhaps he could have changed it sooner. But maybe, maybe we should talk about the positives. What did you make of the Everton and Bournemouth games? They, they were certainly fun. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see um, that because it's been it's been not the most exhilarating season or maybe not even the most exhilarating sort of year for Tottenham um you know especially as the time under Pochettino is gone um so yeah it's it's nice to see those scorelines crop up and and that direct football it does have sort of um uh, a flavor that's maybe been missing so it's sort of a bit of a relief to see us play a bit more direct occasionally just because it's a bit different um but yeah it, it's not it's not when we've had those score lines in the past. Um, it's come from the sort of success of of Pochettino's Plan A, and I think that that is is truly beautiful to watch. But that's not quite what we've seen. I wanted to get your thoughts on Walker Peters because obviously I'm a fanboy, and um, you know every, everyone knows that I'm a big fan of his, and so I, 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 perhaps I have got a bit of an agenda towards him. But you you haven't you you have no um, ties to Walker Peters because you you didn't watch him as a 16 year old in the academy. You, he's He's, he's a fresh player to you. We had a question about him from um, Kenneth, who is Raul Newt on Twitter. He said, do a bit on Kyle Walker-Peters' Premier League starts and man-of-the-match ratio, which I enjoyed. Well, tell us, Nathan, what do you think of Walker-Peters' um, performance against Bournemouth where he got three assists? Yeah, I mean, certainly the, 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 the three assists is sort of, you know, not something that we can expect him to repeat. But, um, you yeah, know, I, I love the way he carries the ball. Um, I like that he's got a bit of pace about him. I think he makes better decisions than Horia does. Um, again, as with Skip, I, I'm reluctant to say, you know, although I have done, <laughs> I'm reluctant <laughs> to say this player needs to be starting sort of thing. 
Um, and I understand why he wants to take his time with him. Um, but all I can really say is I've been I've been happy with what he has done, and that only makes me want to see more. I do think that there are defensive frailties within his game. Um, I do understand um, why you know he maybe hasn't displaced Trippier, who you know we're very harsh on in this podcast, probably too harsh. But um, I'm I'm happy with what I've seen. I hope I get to see more. But I'm not I'm not throwing my toys out the pram. Sure, and I think that's that's a perfectly reasonable position to take. He's, like you say, not perfect defensively, and I'm not going to claim he is, but what he has got is that bit of recovery pace that Trippier and, and arguably Aurier, actually, both don't quite have off a starting... You know, he's got acceleration. He can get back quickly if needs be, um, and that's really helpful, and that will, that will cover some of those defensive frailties that, that he has to his game. Um, but, like you say, fantastic... Uh, moving with the ball and moving off the ball some of those assists came from making really well-timed runs into the final third and then using the ball intelligently and um, I was delighted for him I think he's I think he's a really good young player I think there's a lot more to come from him and I just hope that this now (sighs) ensures hopefully that he's one of two rotation right backs next year my concern has always been that they wouldn't pan out that way but I hope that now he's done enough let's talk a little about next year because with with everything going on over Christmas in terms of football, there's also been this whole backdrop of Man United changing their manager, Pochettino naturally being linked to the managerial position. And that must have been challenging for, for Poch and the players. They kind of glossed over it fairly well. But what? how do you feel this is going to pan out with United? Obviously, they've appointed Solskjaer until the end of the season, but is Poch going to be their first choice? I think he should be. I think it makes a lot of sense for them, for him to be. Um, I don't think there could be much doubt over Pochettino's ability and what he might be able to do with the finances that would be made available to him at United. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty scared, to be honest, because um, I think that Pochettino is... I tweeted this the other day, but I don't think I don't think we've had a better asset at the club. Certainly not in the modern era, not since I've been alive. Um, whether it makes sense for Pochettino, I guess, is the bigger question. And I think there can be a little bit of doubt about that. Um, but you know, it's still a big, big job, a big, big club where the players he wants will be bought for him, and the players that would already be there at his disposable are, are incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel. I feel like the move makes complete sense for football reasons in terms of you can see the upside for him going into that club that's underachieving and turning players around and you know they have real real quality in that squad that's just been terrifically mismanaged Um, you think how you sort of imagine how he might get hold of Pogba and turn him into one of the best players in the world and you think yeah I, I can I can see why that would appeal to him and, and why he'd want to go and do that. I think even players like Lingard and Rashford, they're recognised as good English players, but they could be great. They could be they could be really really excellent footballers. You know, it's probably fair to say that Lingard isn't rated as highly as Deli Ali, and I think he could be with a proper manager. And, and Rashford could become a, a really great striker. Um, so I, I get it from that perspective. I get why Poch would be attracted to that project. I really do. I think it makes a lot of sense. But the non-footballing reasons. So I don't think that structure suits him. I don't think the structure they've got at United with an owner who wants to get involved with, with Woodward there. I don't think that suits him. And they want to put in a director of football as well. And that sort of, for me, feels like a little bit of a step back. He, he came into a similar structure at Spurs and then ultimately 
took took on greater control where he went from coach to manager. And I th- presume that was because that was what he demanded. He wanted that extra control. And yeah, we know we've got a transfer committee. So we've got a committee whereby we have Pochettino, John McDermott, who's the head of coaching. Um, you have our head scout. And then you have, I presume, Poch's coaching team, whoever in that transfer committee, and Daniel Levy. But you'd have to think that he has the final say. Would he have that at United? I don't know. Would they, would they, if they're bringing in a director of football type position, surely that's to manage things like transfers. And don't get me wrong, I feel that's one of Poch's weak areas. I think tra- signings have been a bit of an issue for him. Um, maybe that would change when he's given blank checks. I don't know. But I'm not 100% sure he'd fit into that structure at United. I think it's, it also goes against some of the things that I've learned about him, which are around his his loyalty and his um, character. He's spoken so much previously about why he wouldn't manage certain clubs because they don't fit with... Or they, they don't suit um, his history. Or they go against his history. And would he really go to another Premier League team now? Obviously, he did it from Southampton Spurs, but he's created a bit of a legacy at Spurs. He's... Like like you've just mentioned, he's one of the greatest assets in your lifetime. I think we'll all, if he were to leave, we'd remember him as the best manager we've had in, well, since the 80s. Would he Would he do that? I, I'm not convinced. And if it comes down to ambition and money, then this seems like a bad time to make that step because we're just about to move into a new stadium. That will lead to a huge increase in matchday revenue, which can lead into a huge increase, increase in our wage outlay. So we can hopefully, within a year, start... Start backing him financially. Start giving him the types of sums of money that clubs like United would have. Maybe not to the same extent and not immediately, but there will be steps in that direction, I'm sure. And I think it was um, Raphael Honigstein made a point on the Totally Football Show about his his own pay. And he said, you know, United could double Pochettino's wages, so why don't Spurs just treble them? And I fully agree with that. I don't think it's quite as simple, because if I know anything about Pochettino, it's that he would want the wages of his entire coaching staff trebled as well. He'd want to look out for Jesus Perez and, and Tony Jimenez. They, they would be they would be there as well, and he's thinking, but why not? We can afford that now. Let Just do it. Pay them whatever they want to keep them there for another three, four years, if needs be. Um, I don't think it's as cut and dried as the media are making out. And I really hope it's not, because it would be a huge step backwards. Do you have any thoughts on where we'd go next if he were to leave? Uh, I might be able to sort of come up with a, with a few names, but it would be, be very difficult for us. And I am not hugely confident in our ability to scout managers because of the managers we've had in the past. Um no. Yeah, there's 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 a few out there. I, I want to carry on with the the, the Pochettino thing though. Um, every fan is desperate for us to to spend lots of money, and every window uh, feels like it's it's you know the, we've got to spend money this window sort of thing. Um, so it's it's very much a situation. It's very easy for us to to want this to be a window where we where we need to spend money. Um, but it really feels like that's a huge factor right now. Um, there's there's a um, this growing narrative and belief that that just from the couple of things that Pochettino said, and also the wider context, that um, I've, I've never been worried that worried about the sort of the job opportunities that have come up for Pochettino in the past because I felt well, why would he be in a rush to leave here? But if he feels like the club won't invest in him at the moment then what's the point if he feels like that he is um not betrayed betrayed is too strong a word what we're looking for, if he's been sort of misled by levy into thinking that there would be funds and then suddenly there isn't <clears throat> then i think that's not an entirely dissimilar situation to the circumstances under which he left southampton um 
again, yeah, it's very easy for us as fans to say, well, we've got to spend money on players because that's what we want anyway. Um, but this really feels like that that's 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 sort of the the main factor at the moment. I think what you're saying is spend some fucking money, Levy. Yeah, pretty And much. that leads us on nicely to January transfer window. I mean, we're being linked with all kinds of players at the moment. <laughs> it seems it seems from from the way the, the the media portray these links, it seems scattergun again, and it seems like we have a whole host of different transfer strategies. Yeah. Some of which involve going back to previous strategies, which we've spoken about before, which we we all kind of like, which is signing young talent from the championship potentially loaning them back to the championship for a year and then seeing how that develops. And there's a couple of players linked on, on, on in, in that way. Um, but then we've got some, some really sort of slightly more random names from, from Europe. Um, I'll get you to, to talk, talk through some of these names, but we'll just start off with a question from Scott LeBar or Scott LeBear. Apologies, Scott, if I've got that wrong. He says, we're linked with Rabiot in January. Would this be a good signing? Does it make sense for our squad and the upgrades we need, upgrades we need in central midfield? Have you, you have you done some work on on Rabiot? Yeah, a little bit. Um, what do you make of him? As a player, he is he's phenomenal. He's really really good. I know we were interested before. I think I think we wanted him permanent, and he was only offered on loan. Um, yeah, he's he's a really exceptional player. Um, the issue is that um, he there's a lot of questions over his character, and that continues into um, his. Essentially, he's looking down on Spurs at the moment, and he's saying that he's he's better than us, um, which is not a great way to start um, mm. for character. Uh, you know, over someone who's who's had character issues in the past, and I think his mum, who works as his agent, is sort of really difficult to deal with, or at least that's the suggestion. So Rabio has his heart set on Barcelona at the moment. Um, there's, I think, the suggestion is that 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 there's a, an offer been tabled to him for Spurs. Um, but he's turned his nose up at that pretty much um, with with a with a level of certainty. But if he's holding out for Barcelona and Barcelona aren't interested, well then maybe he'll sort of find himself going, "Oh, I need a club now." Um, the problem is, are those the circumstances you want a player to arrive at your club at? Probably not. But as a player, um, he's exceptional. And who would you compare him to? Is he is he a Dembele light? He, he, he's sort of like that. He's not sort of. Um... He's not got the weight of Dembele. Um, he's he's a bit more sort of light. Both, you know, he he moves a little more. But he's he's a box to box player. Um, he keeps it tight. His passing is good. You know, yeah, he he's a he's a dribbling box to box central midfielder. And we could certainly do with one of those. Um, there are other central midfielders being linked, though. Uh, I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce some of these. Do you, t- t- take us through them all, Nathan, and give us a bit of background info if you can. Uh, <laughs> I also have never heard this name pronounced out loud. So I think it's Tony Verhaer, uh, the Feyenoord, uh, midfielder. Again, you know, an all action box to box midfielder. He, he scores some goals from range. He likes a dribble. Um, he puts up pretty good defensive numbers. Um, so yeah, he's an all rounder, but I'm, I'm not totally blown away by him. I don't think he stands out that much at Feyenoord, which, um, Probably, you know, if you're not standing out there, how's that going to translate? He's 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 good, but he's not great. And I do think that we're holding out for great because we already have, you know, we already have Winks. He's good. The problem mm. is he's not great. If we need great, is is this play going to be that? I think that there was a lot of excitement for uh, Vilhena sort of a few years ago because he um, was, you know, 20 and he was already very good. But I don't think he's progressed that much since then. Um 
certainly as as the player type the match is there i'm just not 100 percent about his quality uh sander burge on the other hand really really does stand out at gink um he's only 20 years old but he's massive um he's he's got excellent ball control incredible passing um again the question is does it translate but his performances are at such a level and also as um joel i can't remember his name pointed out on twitter the other day um he his performances have also held up in the europa league so uh yeah i there's a lot of excitement for sander burge but that's not just us that's there's a lot of interest in him general and um he might cost a fair amount so he he he's twenty. Yeah, and he's six foot four. Yeah, he's not actually that great in the air, considering his height. He he should be better in the air, but otherwise he's just generally amazing. Right. Okay. He's not Marion Fellaini. No, no, no. He's he's not. He's bulky as well. He's not just like a rake. He's a okay. he's a really he's a really silky footballer. Um. Yeah. I, uh, the, the, I saw a photo of him on Twitter last night, yeah. and I said he looks like he ate Harry Winks. He's he's eating a few Harry Winks. He's also eating all of his attacking passing as well. <laughs> nice. Okay, next. So Nicolo Varela, we should have got Vardy on for this one. <laughs> uh, uh, so for, to me, he's more of a, a number six. Um, not in that he's especially defensive, but he's that that player who sits in front of the defence and passes it. You know that <clears throat> Busquets, Jorginho sort of player. Um, I'm not sure if that is really who we need. Maybe what we want to change how we operate our deepest midfielder, or maybe we think that um, Barella or Barea, I don't know, would sort of translate well into playing as our sort of more defensively focused central midfielder, if that makes sense. I think he's a really good player. I'm just not sure he's the right fit. So is where, where does he play at the moment? So he, he mostly plays in defensive midfield, occasionally central midfield. Is he a Weigl type? Yes. And I like the look of him um, aesthetically. He's a very handsome young man. He'd, he'd certainly fit the, the Spurs only signing attractive men philosophy. Uh, he's 21. Yeah. So, so there's upside as well, and presumably <clears throat> wouldn't be overly expensive um, since he's he's not overly experienced. So so that might appeal as well. The other central midfielder we're being linked with is Eberechi Eze. Easy, I think it's Eze <clears throat> who plays for QPR, and um, he's a player I've seen a bit of. And one of my friends is a Wickham season ticket holder, and he loved this guy when he was on loan at Wickham. He he said his main skill sets are his incredibly quick feet, which meant at League Two where he was. On loan, when he was on loan at Wickham, they've since gone up, but uh, he, he could beat anyone in central midfield and then drive forward, which is obviously a huge um, characteristic to have in, in that division, <clears throat> as it wasn't, would be in any division. But he's also quite a sort of adaptable um, player who can play... You'd imagine that he could play in any of the three behind a striker in a 4-2-3-1 or as a third central midfielder in a 4-3-3. Um, really quick feet, great ball control, capability of beating a man and has now lots of experience in the Football League. So I could, I could see how that one would appeal as well. He's been linked with us for, what, two years now, I think? So I think that probably implies that we're scouting him and just keeping an eye on his progress. Likewise, we've got a couple of other young championship uh, players that we're keeping an eye on. So firstly, Lloyd Kelly at Bristol City, who is the England under-20 captain. So I've seen a bit of him for England, although he plays as a centre-back for England under-20, whereas for Bristol City, he plays as a left-back. He's 
I think the main reason he would appeal to us is that he's a left-footed centre-half. Yeah. And we, we've seen, we need that balance in our squad. We need a second left-footed centre-half for when Vertonghen's not around. Um, and, and that'll be nice. The fact that he's playing at left-back can only be a good thing because it means he's developing his uh, technique on the ball, his ability to drive forward with the ball. And it gives him that bit of leeway, I suppose, in the championship where he's not the last line of defence. So he can be, be a little bit more... Um, he doesn't have to be quite so concerned at the moment while he's still a developing young player. But Kelly's excellent. He's another tall player. He must be six foot three. But he's one who just has a very natural gait. He just seems to glide around the pitch. And those players are often players that go on to b- become big, in a sense. I and mean, it sounds obvious, but if someone looks good, they generally become good. And he does look the part. He really does move well. Um, so I think Lloyd Kelly is one that uh, would make a lot of sense. But perhaps that would be a buy and then loan back if, if it were to happen. And then you've got the two fullbacks at Norwich. So you've got Max Ahrens, who's the right back. He's a little, a little bit younger than his counterpart on the other side, who is, um, is it, I think Jamal Lewis is the, yeah, Jamal Lewis is the left back. I've not seen much of either of them, but Lewis <coughs> is, I think, 20 and has played for England at various levels. Aaron's now has been drafted into England's um, U setup uh, <coughs> since he's been involved this season. They're talking very highly of both of them, but Aaron seems to be the one that's really rated. I guess the fact that he's a right back means that arguably it's a less of a relevant position for us because we have three right backs. Who knows what we'll do with Aurier and hmm. Trippier um, in the summer? But Aaron's is one that's been linked with a whole host of clubs, uh, and then and Lewis, the left back, hasn't been linked so much. Uh, perhaps it's because he's he's twenty now, and I don't know. The the next young thing is kind of on the conveyor belt already. But I do like Lewis. The the little I've seen of him, he he's good at attacking the final third, and obviously as a Spurs fullback, you need to be able to do that. Um, so I think that that would be an interesting interesting one. Aaron's is the one who's been primarily linked with Spurs, but uh, Lewis is certainly being watched by a number of Premier League clubs as well. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So there are there are some players there of, of interest. And the final one was, um, is it Joachim Anderson? I think it's Joachim. But I'm, I'm, don't don't hold me to that. And if there are any uh, Salvadoria fans or uh, Danish fans, please <laughs> please forgive me. Um, but yeah, he is a centre half. We have been linked with a couple of centre backs over the last sort of year or so. 
Um, although we've also extended the Tongan's contract, and I think we're about to extend Adavero's contract, so maybe yeah. we might stall our interest in centre halves. Um, we do have Foyth and Davinson Sanchez at the club already, but I think I still believe that we should be looking eventually to return to playing three centre backs at a time. So I don't yeah. think it's completely ridiculous that we would be looking. Uh, Anderson, Anderson, um, yeah, he's he's another big boy for his age. Um, but he's also still pretty good with the ball at his feet. He can, um, you know, hit a diagonal, but he's, 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 um, really comfortable on the ball, under pressure, lovely little passes into midfield. Um, but he, he's quite a lot like Vertonghen defensively, despite his, his size, uh, in that he's the one who, who comes forward and he's aggressive and he makes the interception. He steps off his defensive line and, uh, and clatters his player and will pick up a card occasionally if he doesn't get the ball. Um, but yeah, he's he's a he's a big, strong, but talented centre half. Right footed. Yes, right footed, sorry, yes. Yeah, see that would instantly I'm thinking, hmm not not that that's a problem, you know, sure. good centre backs are good centre backs, but I do feel that balance is is important in the squad and we've now got Alderweireld, Sanchez and Foyth who are all right footed with Dyer, obviously he can play centre back, he's right footed, Carter Vickers right footed, and the lefties are basically just for Tonkin and Davis. <laughs> Anderson has played on the left quite a bit, but then so has Foyth and so had Davinson. So, mm, yeah, and none of them look quite as good on the left. I think it's fair to say. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if that's a priority. I mean, is central midfield still your number one priority? I think so. I, I yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. And I think left back is becoming a, a big priority as well. Um, you know, no disrespect to Davis, who actually I thought played really well when he played at left centre back over this Christmas yeah. period, but. He, he's just not been as good this year and it's starting to look like last year was a bit of an anom- anomaly for Davis. Although I, I don't doubt that Pochettino can still get more out of him. I, I don't feel he's ever going to progress beyond where he is now. Yeah, I don't know. Is it the, yeah, I don't know whether last year was sort of the odd year out. Maybe he's played too much this year and he's, he's not getting enough rest between games because Rose has been out and now maybe that Rose is back in. We'll see. Davies pick up form but yeah it, it's it's slightly odd to see him regret it's odd to see any player regress under Pochettino so yeah it's it's strange a fun, actually we did have a question about that um I'll find who it's from in a second but he, basically he was he was asking what we obviously we've seen lots of leaps forward in players under Poch but do you feel like any players have gone backwards this year and Davis is one but do, do you get a vibe that any other players have gone a bit backwards this year any other playing player going backwards I would simply say is, is down to, to injury or age or whatever I don't think I can think of another example of, of a player you know just turning out lesser performances week in week mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. I guess Winks would be the one that is you can, you can you can easily put that down to injury yeah it's, I don't think that it's I don't think that it, he's regressed I think that he is he's failed to sort of continue to step up with game time um, which again you know is not his fault and we should be happy with what he is it just means that you know the hope was that he would be our next great central midfielder and the fact that he isn't you know doesn't mean that he isn't a worthwhile player hmm that was from um, Cy, Belgian CB on Twitter, by the way. The other players that I think have regressed slightly this year are Alderweireld. Sure. Um, and I don't. I, I think you can you can make a whole host of excuses for that. Yeah. Not, not having a settled centre-back partner would be a big one. Um, but there's no doubt for me he's not playing as well as he did two years ago where he was just absolutely amazing. 
and this is controversial, Hugo Lloris. And I say it's controversial, not... I mean, I think the, the, the groundswell of opinion is that Lloris has been worse this year, and that's often been associated with what's happened off the fit off the pitch but the stats community are saying that Lloris is playing the best he's played in years essentially he, his numbers look great right yeah so there was um an article in stats bomb by mike goodman um uh, but i i've seen elsewhere um yeah his shot stopping by the numbers has been brilliant this year and i'm i i'm going to side with the numbers in that yeah sure his 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 shot stopping has been good but he's also been making some mistakes elsewhere that don't affect those numbers in his decision to come out and we yeah. haven't seen those in a little while he's getting a lot of flack for the wolves game um i wouldn't blame the wolves game on him um and i and with that i would then say you know um it's actually been a little while in the season since he's he's cocked up but um yeah i i think his shot stopping has been very good but that doesn't necessarily mean he's having a great season yeah i feel like but there have been a lot of high profile errors which perhaps yeah exaggerate and magnify um they put a lens on him plus we were all disappointed with what he did off the pitch as well which which certainly it can't help but play on your mind also with um, Luis. the other factor of him is how good Gazaniga has been when he's come in. Because it starts, when you've got a viable alternative, or, or perceived viable alternative, you start then thinking, what if we just, what if we just gave him a few games? What, what if we took Luis out of the team? What if Gazaniga came in and was amazing? And he has done really well when he's been called upon. He has. I think one of the factors with how our fans assess Larice is that it's been a long, long time since we haven't had Larice as our keeper sort mm. of five, ten games in a row. Um, you know, again with Gazaniga, you you can't fault the performances that he's given us. Um, but I I wouldn't bet any money on those performances sustaining if suddenly he was to replace Larice. I think mm. that our understanding of what a goalkeeper is and what a goalkeeper looked like has been changed by getting used to Larice over the last several years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. And there's you know with Larice, you get the intangibles as well. He's apparently such a huge character in the dressing room. He's obviously um a respected leadership figure despite drink driving and he speaks very well in press conferences etc etc he's captain of his country he's he's all these things that you don't get in a normal in air quotes player so you do get that added extra of him okay let's talk a little bit about the rest of the season and our predictions because i i listened back to our sort of pre-season um preview pod which was called 4141 if anyone's <laughs> interested in going back to listen to it um it was quite interesting actually there's a there's a few things we got wildly wrong as you'd imagine yep. there's a few things we we touched on and um uh, and i think i think we nailed some some things as well uh so for example i i mentioned that i had some major concerns over our midfield of dembele and wanyama that wasn't a that wasn't an outlandish prediction, so I'm not going to claim huge insight with that with that one. But um, you then mentioned dropping Ericsson deeper and essentially becoming part of the midfield, and, and I think that certainly happened, particularly with this with this diamond midfield we've been playing. But Ericsson has become almost more midfield than attacking midfield, I would say this year. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the the natural progression. If if you've got issues in central midfield and you've got sort of a part time midfielder, you make him a full time midfielder. Yeah, you spoke at length about the four one four one, hence the name of that podcast. And it hasn't quite panned out that way. We've, we've, in fact, if anything, we've gone even further the other way with Trippier playing as a winger, essentially. Um, that, that hasn't been a, a facet of our play at all. It would have been one way to get round of our, our midfield issues, sort of bringing the fullbacks in narrower and, uh, creating some more chaos in there. Hasn't worked out. Um, 
for whatever reason. Bardi had a preference once again for the for the back three. We've not really seen that at all this year, maybe in one or two games. Um, but you've mentioned there you think we can go back to that if we sign another centre-back, and I, I would agree with that. We did. You spoke, Nathan, about how we should add more goals from set-pieces, and that was a real feature of our game at the start of this season. We seem to be scoring loads from set-pieces or from second balls from set-pieces. Yeah. Um, that's that's dropped off a little. Yeah, I think there's two factors in the drop-off. Um, one is that we're playing a couple of times a week, and so we don't have the time sort of to, to put... You know, at the beginning of the season, once you play and once a week, you can spend time in training dedicated to set pieces but when you've only got one session for a game you need to prepare your game plan for that game mm. i think the other is that davinson sanchez is a huge factor um for for set pieces in that almost every time we were looking for him first for him to knock it on to the opposite post or you know back across or back to the to the spot so i think that he's he and he's missed a lot of games recently so he he's sort of been our fulcrum yeah it'll be interesting to see if if he gets some more games over the next month or so, whether whether the set piece success returns, he is. I've mentioned this before, but he had a reputation for scoring goals from set pieces before he joined us, and I, I'd love to see that continue because any you know if, we, if you can get a, add goals from set pieces, as you mentioned in that podcast, it's such a huge, it's such a big relief for the front players, um, and it, they could happen at any time as well, which is which is very. You don't have to be on top of a match. You don't have to be in control. You, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's something to focus on. Surely, um, in terms of the title challenges, Bardi mentioned City being on a different planet and said that Liverpool were the standout contenders. He also then said about Chelsea that he had a theory that we'd see Hazard pushed into a Mertens role, which I think nailed it. I think that's happened. You could argue that um, Mertens played as a sort of a straight centre-forward despite his history in other world roles, right. whereas Hazard is playing a sort of a more um, midfielder's interpretation, false nine, false dropping nine. in sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I said that Liverpool scared me and I said they'd overtake us and that they won't be a million miles behind City and the only reason they wouldn't win the league is basically that Klopp doesn't close out games. And I think, in a sense, Klopp has fixed that this year. And I think they're adding, the way they've added to their midfield has helped fix that for him. Whether that was a strategic intention from him or not, I don't know. But basically phasing out, to some degree, Henderson and probably Milner in the long term has meant that they've then got those players to bring on to close out a game at the end. And I don't know if you saw Henderson come on against um, Arsenal, but he, he looked really good. He looked really, really good coming off the bench with fresh legs. And he actually did some good attacking things as well as closing the game out as well. But that's worked really well for... for um, for Liverpool, and I, I know you think that City will still win the league. I think uh, it's going to be incredibly close. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm giving in on that now. Um, and I'm now going to cycle back to the opinion I had on another podcast pre-season, which is I did the project that Liverpool would win there. So now I'm going to pretend there, there was no phase for I claimed <laughs> Okay, <laughs> nicely done. Yeah. And in terms of relegation, I got this horribly wrong. Um, so, we, so Bardi said that Huddersfield would implode, that Cardiff would probably go down. But he also said that Wolves won't be as good as many people think. You said Southampton will be da- dangling into a danger zone, and that certainly looks like happening unless their manager can turn it round. They've they've shown signs, yeah, of that I, being a possibility. I think that they were dangling into the danger zone. They've made a smart decision to remove Mark Hughes, and I, I think mm. ha- uh, God Hassan is is a is a good manager. Mm. I also said Southampton. I said that Watford would struggle to score goals. Obviously, I didn't fact in. Pereira, who's been absolutely outstanding this season. Um, I said that Newcastle will struggle. Fair enough, got that one. And I said that Cardiff and Huddersfield would be doomed. Cardiff have done better than I thought they would, to be honest. I'm reasonably impressed with them. And I also said that Bournemouth would be in trouble, but they'd be okay because Watford would be the third team to go down. <laughs> so 
<clears throat> I don't know. What, what do I know about football? Um, so we got a question from John and a whole bunch of numbers, so I'm going to call him Johnny Numbers. Johnny Numbers says, linked to looking back to your pre-season predictions, we are 20 games into and third in the Premier League season, in the last 16 of the Champions League and the last four of the Carabao Cup, but still not in the new stadium. Given what we know now, what does a successful season look like? So from here, Nathan, from this point, not from what you thought at the beginning of the season, what what is success to Spurs now? I think getting into the new stadium is success. I think that uh, I think that we're going to finish third or fourth, probably third, which you know is really really good. It it won't have felt like blistering football. It won't have felt like a great performance. But you have to remember that we are by a distance the sixth richest team in the league. So finishing third is incredible, even if it feels like okay, fine. Um, yeah, obviously a domestic cup would be brilliant. And I think, you know, it would be nice to go another round or maybe another two rounds in the Champions League. And that's where our sort of our source of excitement is going to come from this season. But the main thing is just getting into that stadium and making that a party, making that a celebration, having a great atmosphere, playing some nice football in the new stadium. Actually, no, I've changed my mind. The best thing we can do is hold on to our manager. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Anything we can do between now and the end of the season, which means that he's more likely to stay, is success. And that might be winning a cup, going further than the Champions League, finishing third, whatever it takes, whatever we can do that will influence his decision, it has to be considered a success. And then and then next season, I know this is always the way the Spurs, and then next season, we look to build on it. Yeah, we are you know, here next in, year. In our new stadium. Yeah, maybe Pochettino will fall in love with the new stadium and he'll be overcome emotionally by it. Yeah, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. Um, we, I think, I feel like we should talk a little about the emergence of Sissoko because he's a player we've panned. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've ever seen more of a transformation in a footballer than I have in last season's Musa Sissoko to this season's Musa Sissoko. And that's not to say that I think he's a well beaten now because I really don't. I still ultimately don't think he's a good enough player to be in the starting eleven of a team with aspirations of finishing in the top three, four regularly. However, he was utterly hopeless last year, and that's no exaggeration. There's no, there's no. Um, Musa Sissoko was doing some good things and just didn't have luck on his side. No, he was he was abysmal in everything he did. And this season, he's been he's been player of the month. He's he's had a run of games against some top quality teams where he was one of the best players on the pitch. He's put together performances where. He's been the most important player for us um, in, in, in a number of different ways. In his energy he brings, in his, um, his scrapping for the ball, his driving forward with the ball, his personality, his character, all these traits that you just would not have associated with him previously at Spurs. What, do you, what have you made of Sissoko and how the hell has Poch done this again? I guess we can't be surprised at Pochettino's ability to get the best out of a player. But we are surprised at what that ability is with regards to Sissoko. He, yeah, I just, it feels like the real big difference is that whereas previously every decision he made was wrong, now nearly every decision he makes is right. And mm. that is, that's honestly bizarre to see such a, a flip to go from one extreme to the other. Um, I, what's burned into my brain is, is Arsenal away last season. Was it last season with the, the Fighting Cock Live? Mm-hmm. Um, and and play trying to play a possession game with Sissoko against Arsenal, and every time the ball comes to Sissoko, he he would fuck it up. He would miscontrol his touch. He would give the ball away, and it just killed us. And I the 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 idea that that player is now you know 
competently, deliberately drawing players towards him before making a smart pass off at an angle to create space. Um, it's like um, Pochettino's got a, a PlayStation controller <laughs> for him, and he's just micromanaging every decision. It's a, I, I don't want to take I don't want to take the credit away from Sissoko there. He obviously he is making the decisions, um, but it's just incredible. And uh, you know, Poch, this has been a remarkable turnaround, absolutely remarkable turnaround. And Pochettino has to take a huge amount of credit. Sissoko has to take a huge amount of credit. But there's one other factor that deserves a huge amount of credit, and that is the card game Uno. Because for me, Sissoko becoming club Uno champion has coincided with the return of his form. And obviously I'm being facetious, but I do sort of strangely believe that they are linked. In that, stay with me here, in that he is so clearly well-liked now within the squad. He is such a popular character within the squad. He's the one leading the Instagram videos after every game. He's the one developing... New handshakes with Hyungmin Son. He's the one who's all the players want to rally round when he does anything good and want to celebrate with when they or he when they score. I was going to say when he scores, but he doesn't score. <laughs> um, he's such a a big character now within our squad, and genuinely, maybe this whole Uno thing that happened over the course of what two months at Spurs, where they were just constantly playing cards. Um, and having fun together as a group, that perhaps that brought him out of his shell. And, and as Poch was developing his self belief and telling the media, this is a player who can do X, Y, and Z. When we had no, we didn't believe he could. So presumably he didn't believe he could. Maybe it's all been part of it and building his character. And he might just be the ultimate confidence player. And Pochettino's man management, as well as his tactical coaching, are just unparalleled. I just, I'm so impressed. A statue of a deck of Uno cards outside the new stadium. Yes. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Okay, we're going to finish off on some questions. Um, we had a fair few, but we've picked out three. So apologies if we're not going to answer your question. Um, send more in next time. So Steve Jennings, Jennings Wright says, You might have covered this before, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how our pressing game has changed since Poch's first season. Very little intensity in the press versus Wolves. Was it down to fatigue or indicative of a gradual change in approach? And you have briefly mentioned this before, Nathan, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts now after half a season. Yeah, I think you have to take the Wolves game as an anomaly. We were definitely fatigued or scared of fatigue in that game. Mm. Um, But I do think that there has been a a gradual change of less intensity. I think think that sort of increased efficiency rather than sort of a a decrease in desire. I think we're able to create the same sort of squeeze without running ourselves into the ground. So there's only positives there for me. Yeah. Would you say our pressing style has changed? Are Are we more of a passing lanes press team now than we were? two years ago yeah again yeah it's sort of efficiency you don't have to to um bum rush the player if you can just sort of choke off his options um uh, yeah i don't think we've sort of totally um changed the angles from which we press um all the triggers yeah yeah we're we're still we're still man orientated um but we're just being a little more clever about it we like to funnel a team into a particular area, which is normally a fullback, yeah. and push them into going long from fullback, and then win the second balls and regain possession. That's that's broadly the style that Spurs, the pressing style that Spurs take, Spurs take. I I believe. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's changed. It's just the way we've done we've done it has changed slightly. Um, although having said that, in the Everton game, we saw a whole different style of pressing, which was which worked wonderfully, uh, and which I hadn't seen before. Um, Mittel, 
who is M13TUL, says, The success of the diamond midfield or 4-3-3. Formation-wise, how can we reduce the impact of Son? Oh, I see. So he's... Okay, he wants us to talk about the success of the diamond. And then he said, Formation-wise, how do we reduce the impact of Son going to the Asia Cup as Lucas next to Harry didn't work well before? And I think that's a really salient point, actually. Um, So this recent run of good form has come with us playing Son up top with Kane. And Son's been magnificent. He's really refound his best form and he's been our best player I think over this past six week period um how how can we mitigate when he when he goes off to play for South Korea what how do we handle that what do we do to adapt I think that no two players are as similar in the squad as Son and Lucas I think that there's a a very obvious and easy natural replacement there um the question says and a lot of people have said before that the the Kane and Lucas diamond didn't work that well before um we did beat United um and I think that Kane's fitness has improved a lot since then. Um, so I would have some optimism about just simply replacing Son with Lucas when Son goes. Or I guess he's gone now. Is he playing on? Is he available for the first? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. He's playing against United and then he goes. Okay. Okay. Fine. Um, so yeah, I I I think that the problems that we do have go deeper than Lucas replacing Son. So I don't think that's a huge issue. You know, Son's been great, and I don't think that Lucas will replace him that well. But I'm I don't think that there's anything inherently terrible about Kane and Lucas up front together. How would you feel about Delhi being the man to replace Son up front and then dropping Lamella in behind? Yeah, that I think that's definitely an option worth considering if if Lucas doesn't fire straight away. I'm, I, they're both good options to have, essentially, and he might use both. Um, I just, I, th- I felt like Lamella was playing really well before he got this, ne- this latest injury, and I'd love to if we could just parachute him into that form, parachute him into the team in, in that form rather, and uh, he could pick up where he left off. I, th- I do, I still really like Lamella. I think he's got loads to offer. Yeah, I think we've missed him over the last few days. Mm. Yeah, he'd been so useful against Wolves in so many different ways, but he's yeah he's he ha- he's just so unreliable in terms of his fitness. He's a real pity. Um, and there's two questions here from Ahmed Abdelhanain, who is a Abdelhanain on Twitter. He says, "What is our best tactical system and formation?" So let's let's handle that one first. What do you what do you believe now? I mean, you're you're a believer in fluid tactics, but what do you think suits us best as a squad? I think formation wise, our best performances have come in the the. Th- Three four three, or you might instead call it a three five two. I think <laughs> our best performance uh, as a club came against Tony Pulis's West Brom in yes. January 2017. Is that right? I think yeah, it was a sounds right four one. So we'd played Chelsea the week before um, that sort of famous victory. Delhi repeating the same header twice from an Eriksen assist, and then next week we played West Brom. Uh, we had a Wanyama Dembele midfield. Oh. We had Rose and Walker at fullback. Actually, it might have been Davies. Um, uh, Dyer did play right centre back with Toby in the middle and Yan at left centre back. Kane, Eriksson, and Ali up top. Um, and we just played the most fluid, wonderful football. The most, um, the greatest realization of Pochettino's tactics, which is squeezing the opposition and then moving them, moving the ball to move them and creating the space. Um, we've only ever played that formation a couple of times and um, it's absurd. I guess it's sort of the reality of football is that you never really have your, your first 11. Um, but I think that if we can get a really good central midfielder, a couple of fullbacks, and maybe a defensive midfielder too, that we can recreate that and that we will be um, a team maybe nearly as good as any other in the league. Wow. 
I you, you mentioned that you weren't sure if Rose or Davis played in the game. It was very much Rose, and I remember him being absolutely exceptional okay. in that match. He oh, sorry, Davies, Davies came on to play centre-back when Vertonghen went off injured. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I just remember Rose and Walker playing as high as I ever saw them play for Spurs, and it was quite remarkable. And uh, Ahmed's uh, second question was, when playing 4-2-3-1 with Son, Delhi, and Eriksen behind Kane, what's the best position for each of them? Um, do you have do you do you have a, a view as to where they should all sit ideally in that system? So generally, Pochettino likes to play Son on the left, Delhi through the middle, and Eriksson on the right. Um, I I'm not huge on that. I would prefer Eriksson on the left and Son on the right. Um, I think that we talk about how incredibly two footed Son is, and he is, but he's not especially two sided. Despite that, and I yeah. think that's a bit of a shame that 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 considering he has such a good left foot. He should be able to play on the right, and um, uh, whereas Ericsson, you know, again, he is two-footed, but he's he's not, you know, fully ambi bipedal like Sun is. Um, mm. So why I, I prefer them the other way round, but hey, if it works, I'm not going to question Pochettino. Yeah, and Son sort of running into the box from the left-hand side is such a big facet of his play, and he draws so many fouls in that area. He he manages to hit the byline and get those little squeezing those crosses somehow, um, and it, it does work well. Whereas, like you say, Eriksson can pretty much do a job anywhere and, and make it look effective, um, and naturally will come into the midfield from that position as well, which is helpful. Yep. I think we'll leave it there, Nath. Um, we normally do further reading, but what we're going to do instead is put out a few New Year's or New Year's Eve posts on Twitter with some of the stuff that we've enjoyed this year. I do want to say, though, thank you to all the guests we've had in this year. So in 2018, we've had Dan Kilpatrick and Jack Pitbrook. We've had Priya Ramesh, Daniel Story. We had Spurs fanatical Mark, who was amazing. We must have him back. We had Carl and Kai on for the youth pods, and that that was so fascinating for me in particular. We had Nico Morales, we had Tiago Esteval, and we had John McKenzie. Thank you all very, very much for being a part of this podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, We're very proud of how the podcast's grown this past year. We've had 150,000 listens in 2018, which is which is great for a small pod that's um, quite niche. Um, so so your support is very much appreciated. And if you do have time to leave an iTunes review, it would be great for us. It would really help us out when we're trying to get sponsors and just to keep this keep this ship going for the next year. Um, thank you, Nathan. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking to you over the past year, and I'm looking forward to more of the same in 2019. Your insights are always unparalleled. Um, and happy, happy New Year to Bardi as well. He's not here today because he's away in South Africa and um, we couldn't get a secure enough a secure enough connection to, to get him on but um, obviously he'll be back um, as soon as as soon as possible um, he's, he's very much a big part of this pod uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll it's see you in 2019 it's the fight in clock it's the fight in Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com